All right, and I'm just going to say this too, um, and I realize I'm saying it more for me than for anything else, uh, but I got to be up super early in the morning, and so I'm not going to do a whole lot of editing here. So hopefully I don't have a patented Mitch brain fart where I'm like 45 seconds and nothing. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be a thing. And I'm leaving this in the podcast so people listening know what you're getting yourselves into. <laughs> That's fair. All right. It is the last week of spooky season. Halloween is this weekend. So we've got one last question. Uh, and I, when I told you guys this earlier, I said to be as creative as you want. Uh, what is the worst Halloween costume? Um, Tabitha, I know I started with you last week. Matt, do you have one lined up? I know we were just talking about your hectic day. Yeah. Um, if... I don't know. I, I, I will harken back to last week's question about the worst candy, which I think would also make the worst costume, black licorice. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Tabitha, what about you? I'm just trying to figure out how you make black licorice into a costume. Uh, um, don't do anything with face. A, I don't know. How do you make it a candy? What'd you say, Mitch? I said don't do anything with your face. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, so all I could think about when you asked for worst costumes was all the Harley Quinns we always run into at conventions and we play the one shot for each Harley Quinn. I'm so scared I, of the day we're actually going to do that, by the way. Oh, right. right. We're all going to die of alcohol poisoning. Um, so I've decided that like a zombie Harley Quinn is the worst Halloween costume. Cause you know how like everybody wants to make like cute things scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would be like the worst Halloween costume. And now that I've said it, I've spoken it into existence. So we're going to run into that at a con next year. If oh yeah. Here. Oh yeah. Totally. Uh -huh. um, kind of along the same vein of making something cute, scary, making something normal, sexy, um, my, my favorite, and this isn't my answer, but like my favorite example of this is like something I saw, I don't know, like 10 years ago, but it was like a sexy Ninja Turtle. And it's like, no, you can't make turtles sexy. Um, <laughs> so my submission for worst costume ever, sexy baby shark. Is that a thing? Cause that feels like it's probably a thing. I mean, I hope it's not a thing. <laughs> Google that. I'm Googling it. <laughs> You're going to end up on a list. I'm just letting you know that. I'm a, I'm already on a list. <laughs> Did I send you the note I found in my desk drawer today that told me how fast I have to throw a human body from a plane for it to explode? Thermal <laughs> uh, <Urban> velocity. <laughs> yeah, like 500 feet for a human body to reach 125 miles per hour, which is terminal velocity for a human body. Why is that on a post-it in my desk drawer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm already on a list, Mitch. You're listening to The Geek Awakens with Mitch, Matt, Tabitha, Lydia, and Pickett. All right, we've got way too much stuff to talk about. We have, 
Uh, the return of Trailer Takedown. We also have the return. Uh, it is Back from the Dead, uh, Guilty Pleasure or Dumpster Fire. That's going to be coming up later in the show. We're going to start things off tonight, though, with uh, Matt. You've got some news about uh, Vault, actually. Um, I do. So comicbookresources.com um, posted a list of their 10 best horror comics for 2020. Uh, and three of the top 10 on that list are from our friends at Vault, which is fantastic. Um, number 10, uh, I'll just run down the list here. Uh, number 10 is Vampire the Masquerade, Winter's Teeth, um, which I don't think we've reviewed, but um, is definitely a Vault uh, comic. Number nine is the Department of Truth, which is from Image Comics. Uh, it deals with the after effects of the uh, JFK assassination and other conspiracy theories. Number eight is the Lolo Woods, which is one of the first female written comics to be produced under the Hill House uh, imprint with Joe Hill. Um, it's one that I've seen and I definitely have wanted to get my hands on. Um, number seven is Die, which is set in the 80s, and it's based around a role-playing game where kids are sucked in, kind of like Jumanji. Um, number six is uh, Batman the Three Jokers, which has been one of those that uh, like we knew was coming for quite a while with DC, uh, but it's finally hit the uh, newsstands. Uh, number five is Dark Knight's Death Metal, which is the sequel to Dark Knight's Metal, um, which has introduced one of the most villainous villains, um, Batman Who Laughs. Number four is The Plot, which is the haunted house um, one from Vault that we have read and I can't get enough of. Uh, number three is Legend of the Swamp Thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's by Alan Moore and guess what? Swamp Thing. Number two is The Dreaming Waking Hours. It is a renewal of 90s horror comic, uh, where the main character becomes trapped in her dreams with different versions of Shakespeare. Um, and then number one, which I'm super excited about, is Bleed Them Dry from our friends at Vault. Um, which... I'm super excited to see them get three on this list, but I'm even more excited to see that Bleed Them Dry is number one because I think we would agree that that's, you know, uh, a great one for this year and uh, excited to see how that continues. So, yeah, thought that was kind of cool to uh, to see that and to get some uh, smaller press comics to get some uh, some some big attention on that. Yeah, that's amazing. And also, like, to put something like uh... – like Bleed Them Dry, which is an indie book, on top of something like The Three Jokers, which I don't know if you've read that, Matt, but I actually finished that today. And yeah, I mean, it was it was phenomenal. I have not. It's, uh, it's on my list. Um, I meant to pick it up and I missed the first run of the first issue. So I'm kind of hoping to run out and get all three issues now that all three of them are out and kind of burn through that. So, uh, some other news from some of our other friends. Uh, Oni Lionforge has announced the upcoming uh, graphic novel, The Sprite and the Gardener, which is going to be released uh, in May of 2021 by Rhea Abrego, Joe Witt, and Crank. 
So the story follows Wisteria, uh, who is a sprite who learns that uh, before humans, sprites were caretakers of gardens. She begins to unearth her talent for gardening, but there may be more to it than she thought. Uh, this is kind of described to be like kind of in the same vein as like the tea dragon books. Um, <clears throat> so kind of like whimsical and whatnot. Uh, Vault has announced two incentive covers for, uh, or two incentive covers by uh, Merka, Merka and Dolfo for I Walk With Monsters number one. Uh, there will be three different versions. A regular cover, uh, which is going to be a, uh, one for every 15 copies, uh, deluxe foil edition printed on thick cardstock, which is a one in 30, and a one per store version for uh, stores that match or exceed orders for Giga number one. Mm. If you didn't get a chance to look at this uh, variant cover, it is beautiful. Um, Z2 Comics has announced that uh, Oliver Tree versus Little Ricky, Alien Boys by Oliver Tree and Orpheus Collar uh, will be released on April 13th, 2021. Uh, Pre-orders are now available on the Z2 website. So the uh, description for this, and I can't, uh, I can't do it justice. So I'm just reading the, uh, the description uh, just from, from their website or from uh, the press release. So Alien Boys tells Oliver Tree's life story picking up as he is thrown into the meat grinder of the music industry to promote his debut retirement album, Ugly is Beautiful. Uh, denied his chosen herbal medicine to overcome the aches and pains brought on by a deadly life in the fast lane, Oliver threatens to retire, prompting his label to find an out-of-this-world replacement in Little Ricky, an alien with a sick mixtape. In a world too small for both of them, Oliver and Ricky are forced to either become fast friends or throw down in a turbocharged battle that threatens to destroy them both. Mm. This sounds weird <laughs> and fun, and I need it to be April 13th right now. <laughs> that, that does sound fun and odd and awesome. Yeah. So uh, Valiant has announced uh, another round of their virtual portfolio reviews uh, scheduled for November 12th, I'm sorry, November 10th through the 12th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central Time. Uh, the submission deadline is November 4th at 4 p.m. Central. Uh, for a full list of submission requirements, check out Valiant's website, valiantentertainment.com. Uh, finally, uh, Oni Lion Forge is teaming with... Uh, ChooseCo, which is the publisher of the iconic Choose Your Own Adventure books. Uh, it's going to have a, they're teaming up for a line of Choose Your Own Adventure graphic novels. Uh, the first book will be Choose Your Own Adventure, Eighth, Eighth Grade Witch, out August 25th, 2021. And it's going to be followed by the classic Journey Under the Sea. Um, I am stoked for this. I know I'm not in the target demographic, uh, but Choose Your Own Adventure books were my jam growing up. So <laughs> a Choose Your Own Adventure graphic novel is just even better. I always sucked at those. Same. I, was, I, I, I really wanted to be good at Choose Your Own Adventure books and enjoy them. I just was never any good. Like I would read them three times and make different choices and still end up in the same place and then get frustrated and just be done. I would just read them all the way through like a regular linear novel and then get really confused and mad. <laughs> <laughs> so bad at those. They would always make me mad. 
That's because you read them in order. I just, supposed to read I them know, in order. I was reading it the way I just, I got a bunch of alternate endings. It's fine. It was like watching a movie and like it ends <laughs> and then they're like, just kidding. Then it ends. It's like watching Clue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or it could have happened this way. <laughs> or maybe this way. <laughs> maybe that's why I love that movie so much. <laughs> So, a uh, few books to review tonight as well. Uh, the first one is uh, Autumnal Number Two. It's out now from Vault, written by Daniel Krauss and art by Christiane. Uh, so, Kat and her daughter Sybil try to settle into the town of Comfort Notch and also into Kat's late mother's house. Uh, creepiness ensues. Um, I legit jumped at one panel in this book. Uh, which is something that I don't think I have ever done reading a comic book before. Um, I'll tell you what, this book, it, it hits the mark beautifully, not only in storytelling as a whole, but also just in sheer creepiness. Um, not spoiling too much, but it's it's got a set of twins, which I feel like any good horror anything needs to have a set of twins. Um but yeah, I I am loving this book, and I cannot wait for more. Tabitha, I know you had a chance to read it as well. What did you think? Uh, this I'm pretty sure I know what place made you jump because I was reading this on my lunch, and I was very into it, and I kind of stopped eating, and I was just like focused, and I like looked down, and I like did one of these jobs, and I was like, <laughs> I just jumped like a fool in my house by myself. Um, <laughs> I love this. Like when we read the first issue, like I wanted more, and it the same applies here. Like I just wanted it to keep going forever. Uh, the color is super beautiful in this graphic novel. And like, that's something that I usually don't like super pay attention to because I'm a words girl, not a picture girl. But like, as I'm reading, I'm like taking my time to like look at the background of stuff, which I'm glad because that's what made me jump. Um, <laughs> this is great. And I, I need to know more about this town. I need to know more about these creepy leaves. The twins can go though. Twins kind of creep me out. Like, <laughs> They, they can leave. Those twins also kind of remind me of the twins from Bob's Burgers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> In the way that they're drawn, and, like, that's all I could hear in my head was those voices. Um, I love this, and I want more. So, also out now from Vault is Heavy Number 2, written by Max Bemis and art by Eric Donovan. Uh, so, Bill is teamed with the man responsible for his death as well as his wife's. Uh, so can he work with his enemy in order to get a fresh start beyond the big weight? Uh, Matt, you had a chance to read this. What do you think? Uh, so the first one, I was not like 100% on board because I wasn't exactly sure where this was going, despite the twist that we got at the end. Um, you kind of see how some of that twist plays out in this second issue um, as the two of them eh, kind of sort of work together and like come to grips with the fact that they have to work together. The, the, the scene that kind of builds a little more than halfway through um, is just absolutely odd and bizarre. Um, I, I can't, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but I, I did not expect those kinds of monsters <laughs> um, in, in this particular <laughs> graphic novel. Um, I don't know. As, as much as I was kind of like iffy um, on the first issue, and as I, as much as I don't know that I really 
needed the monsters that we got in issue two. I kind of like where this is going. Um, I'm intrigued to see how the two of them have to, like they build this relationship and work together uh, and how it kind of uh, comes, comes full circle, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I really, really am enjoying this series and it's making me want to, I actually, I have started to read some other things by Max Bemis and it's making me want to like consume more. Um, I think he does a great job storytelling. Um, I think it's safe to say with this second issue that this book is definitely for adults. Yeah. Um, oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, if, if you were disgusted by the idea of the battlewang, then, um, yeah, then Ooh. this book is not for you. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, but no, I I really enjoy this. I feel like I was I don't want to say that I was turned off by the idea at the end of issue one where Bill finds out that his mortal enemy is his new partner. Um, yeah. I was I don't want to say I was turned off by it, but it was like kind of like oh well, you know, of course he is, but. I think with this second issue, I think that it works really well, and uh, I'm excited for more. Uh, out December 8th from TKO Studios is The Pull. It's by Steve Orlando and art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. Um, so what this book is about, so basically it's the end of the world as we know it, and nobody feels fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 2020. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Um, and you've got these this team of not quite police, not quite superheroes, but these team of people who, like, even during the end times, are still trying to keep the peace. And people are like, hey, the world is ending, so, you know, STFU. Um, <laughs> <Peace>. <laughs> the, uh, Steve Orlando, for me, is kind of starting to become one of those writers where I'm willing to try out anything that he puts out um, without knowing much, if anything about, you know, about the, uh, the book. Uh, the poll is, is good. It's, it's this issue, this first issue sets up a lot of stuff. Um, I think that in the very beginning, like I was a little bit lost um, just cause it's kind of like one of those things where you get jumped off kind of at a, you know, in a mid starting point, there's, there is a, a bit of jumping around in the first maybe five or six pages in terms of like timelines, you know, it's like, oh, hey, this happened years ago, but then this happened a couple weeks later, and then a couple weeks, you know, so something like that. Yeah. But once you get beyond that, I mean, it's, it's a fun story. The art is phenomenal. Um, yeah, I can't wait for more. So uh, the last book is a book that I didn't get a chance to, to look at uh, this week, because today happened and it's been a day um, <laughs> but it is uh odessa and that is going to be out um november 11th with by uh jonathan hill and tabitha i know you said you read your your good chunk of the way into it so uh why don't you take it away so odessa takes place after essentially the world has ended because a giant earthquake has hit the west coast um there's like, I'm, ha I'm a little over halfway through this and that's about all I can tell you about the plot. 
Um, it's kind of, there's a girl and her family has been surviving after this thing has happened. She receives a package from her mother in the mail. Her mother's been missing for eight years and she's like, I'm going to go find my mom. And her dad takes off to go do some scavengery stuff. And so she takes off to go find her mom, leaving her little brothers at home. And they're like, JK, we're coming with you. And then they surprise her on her adventure and they meet up with some people, they meet up with some good people and some bad people, and it's just kind of like a post-apocalyptic adventure for this girl to get to her mother. Um, there's Japanese and Chinese culture, like, woven throughout the story. Um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not done. I'm about halfway through. I am going to keep going, though, because I, I need to know, I need to know where the mom is, basically. It's one <laughs> of those, like, but where are you kind of things. Um, my only kind of gripe is it's one of those graphic novels where all the art is like the same color. It's kind of like this salmon-y pink and white and black tone. And I'm finding myself just reading it and like I'm kind of glancing at the art. Like if you put these people up in a like a mugshot lineup kind of thing, couldn't tell you where they were from because I'm not looking at them. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued enough to keep going I do wish it had a little bit of a different art style, though. Uh, and I like the the story so far. I wish there was more plot because, like I said, I am I am 150 pages into a 317 page book, and I'm kind of struggling to know anything about what's happening. Um, once I get to the end of it, I think I'm going to end up really liking it because, again, I like those adventure stories where you know you give me a little teaser and then I have to get to the end to find out what happened. Um, but I also am a little fearful that this is going to make me cry. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> I mean, to be fair though, like what doesn't make you cry? You're right. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to think of something that I've like watched or like, like something I've consumed like recently that hasn't like made me cry. That was even halfway emotional and I can't. So... <laughs> I just, I'm in the middle of reading a book that I have like maybe 30 pages to the end and I've been putting it off for four days because I think it's going to make me cry. <laughs> it's already made me cry once. So, <laughs> having emotional hard, guys. All right, guys. So we're going to do a quick round of trailer takedown. Uh, <clears throat> both of these trailers actually came from Matt. Uh, Tabitha, I know you weren't. Oh, she's not here. <laughs> she's Sorry. coming back. <laughs> Sorry, I'm coming back. I'm having a, I'm having a nose drip. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Tabitha, I know you weren't here last time we played Trailer Takedown. Are you kind of familiar with the rules, though? I mean, I feel like I can figure it out. Okay, right? I have faith in you. Oh, okay, okay. So, points. <laughs> points. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, uh, so Matt, uh, both of these trailers are yours tonight. It's Midnight Sky versus Saved by the Bell. Uh, Matt, go ahead and give us the lowdown on these trailers. All right. So, Midnight Sky is a uh, Netflix film that is coming out on December twenty third, starring George Clooney. Um, the the quick synopsis is this, that a, he is a scientist who is stationed in the Arctic and he embarks on a desperate mission to make contact with the crew of a spaceship to warn them about the deteriorated state of the planet. 
<clears throat> excuse me. Um, it's based on the 2016 novel Good Morning Midnight by Lily Brooks Dalton. Um, Clooney is one of the few remaining survivors on Earth after what he calls, quote, a mistake. In the novel, Clooney's character, Augustine, has refused to abandon his post in the Arctic station with his crew because he is obsessed with contacting the ether, uh, which is the spacecraft, on its way home from deep space. There's a lot going on in this trailer. Um, there is sci-fi space. There is Arctic, like, not tension. Not, I, wanna, I don't want to say horror, but, like, <clears throat> thriller-type vibes from the, whole, from, the, from the Arctic scenario. <clears throat> I don't know. This, I, I was really impressed with the trailer because for Netflix, I mean, Netflix has done a lot of good things, but this felt like a trailer for a theatrical release. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, trailer number two is the Saved by the Bell reboot trailer. Uh, in the new series, Zach Morris is now the governor of California and has gotten in trouble for closing too many underfunded high schools. So his brilliant solution is to send those kids that are affected to the well-funded schools, which include our favorite high school of all time, Bayside High. Well, maybe not our favorite because Sunnydale's pretty close. Um, <laughs> so we get Zach, AC, Kelly, Slater, all come back. Um, even Lark Voorhees is back um, as, uh, as Lisa. So there's a ton of cameos in the trailer. This just looks fun. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This, this is that guilty. This is, this is one of those trailers that runs that line between guilty pleasure dumpster fire for me. Um, I freaking love the original series. I did. No shame. So we'll see how this, uh, how this all, all comes down. So where do you put your points, Matt? You know, this probably is going to help anybody, but I'm going to split this right down the middle and I'm going to go five and five. Uh, for me, I thought um, Midnight Sky, I thought that the trailer was, it, it was a beautiful trailer. Um, it's not a movie that I don't think that I would have gone out of my way to watch, you know, <laughs> but after watching that, watching that trailer made me, and I, I realized this is for a Netflix series. It's not going to be in theaters, but watching this trailer is the first time that I've legitimately missed being in theaters because a, this trailer would have been a fantastic right before, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and also, like, this looks like a movie that should be in the theaters with a huge surround sound, you know, everything. Um, Saved by the Bell, I don't know. <clears throat> I felt like there was something missing there for me. Um, it's Screech. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But he's in jail, probably. Um, <laughs> Poor Dustin Diamond. <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of Saved by the Bell growing up. I watched episodes here and there. I didn't dislike the show. It just wasn't, it just wasn't mine, you know? Um, so I think that I, I didn't have that emotional attachment to get that nostalgia. I think for me, this would, would have been a lot better because it's like, you know, Saved by the Bell, it was a, you know, standard, you know, like studio audience comedy, you know, whatever. And then whereas this one is not, you know, it's it looks more theatrical and things like that. And I feel like if 
they had and honestly at the beginning of the trailer i was worried that there was they were turning it into kind of like a drama type thing you know mm-hmm. um and but i felt like you know if they kind of kept the same feel as the original saved by the bell then i would have felt better about it uh that said it's what it's behind one of the writers of 30 rock is that right mm-hmm. yeah um so that makes me feel a little bit better based on the trailers alone though uh i'm giving eight points to midnight sky and two points to save by the bell tabitha i'm doing a 60 40 split here guys um <laughs> save by the bell also wasn't my show and not to make you both feel kind of old but it was a little bit before my time like my after school in the high school setting for a tv show was flash forward with jewel state if anybody remembers that gym of a tv show on disney i just remember jewel state <laughs> course you do um <laughs> but like Save by the bell was not really ever my thing like i get the references and stuff but like man this does look fun and it does look like something i could like sit down and kind of like chuckle at for 30 minutes a day like you know whatever but the i love george clooney with the passion of Ten Thousand burning suns i always will i always have um even when he's old and with a beard and running through the tundra with, is that girl a ghost? Is she alive? Does anybody know? <laughs> so many questions. Yeah, because I was he, even... He never talks. And sometimes it looks like she's dead and sometimes it looks like she's alive. And then no one references, references her. Or also, is she his daughter? And the daughter went up in the spacecraft and like, this is her from like, I have so many questions. And like a trailer that can make me have that many questions is top tier for me my only sadness is i agree with mitch this needs to be in a theater yeah i need those what was that movie with george clooney and sandra bullock where they're floating in space i gravity thank you i need those vibes where i'm uncomfortable because i feel like i'm there and that's what this movie looks like it's gonna give me so yeah 60 40 60 to george clooney because george clooney (laughs) (laughs) so saved by the bell gets 11 points versus 19 points for Midnight Sky. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I Good call, though, on the, on the child there, Tabitha, because about midway through, like at one point when George Clooney and the kid, are, they're like outside in the tundra, and I'm like, why is that child outside? It's very cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking that, too, but then like she disappears, and he's like looking for her, and then he like picks something that appears to be a dead body up out of the snow, and then all of a sudden she's like, but come with me to the light. And I'm like, hmm. Mm. I see you. I see what you're doing here. <laughs> all right, guys. I was trying to think, have we done a Guilty Pleasure dumpster fire since we came back from COVID? Uh, did we do one? I feel like we did one. I feel like, yeah. yeah. All of 2020 is kind of a blur for me. Yeah, you're right. <clears throat> so, um, we watched... Uh, the 1981 classic, uh, Evil Dead. Um, I forgot to ask either one of you to kind of do an intro for this. Can either of you kind of do one on the fly or? Why is this always my job? Um, You've seen it more times. I mean, this is, I mean, if I have to introduce Evil Dead to you, I don't know what to, I don't know how to help you. You're a cultureless slime, like go (laughs) educate yourself. Um, This is Sam Raimi's classic. 80s horror movie this is why bruce campbell is bruce campbell this is why like campy teenage horror movies gore movies rather like exist like i don't know 
this is the story of five teenagers who go to a cabin in the woods and literally all hell breaks loose. Uh, <laughs> it's got some of the greatest zombies, zo like zombie dead things you'll ever see in a movie from this time. Um, and I mean, it, it started, you know, the Evil Dead legacy, which I think I've seen all the Evil Dead movies at this point, but um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, it's Evil Dead. I don't know how else to explain it. Dead folks come back because somebody took something out of a tomb 50 years ago, like a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> don't take things from tombs and don't speak Latin in front of books. It's <laughs> my general advice for the day. <laughs> So let's first talk about what worked for this movie. Um, for me, uh, and, and I'm going to preface this, uh, I was also going to watch this last night, you know, when it's nighttime out, so I can be sufficiently creeped. Um, but last night, I just kind of put it off and put it off, and by the time it was like, eh, it's too late, I'm not starting a movie. So I watched it during the day with the lights on, and also, I had a bunch of people texting me about some work stuff and everything like that. So it's like, I was I was taken out of the moment. So I, I'm saying that, you know, to kind of preface everything. That said, um, I thought that it portrayed like a lot of, you know, horror, scary movie tropes really well. Um, I did think, um, I made a few notes, the, the cabin... It's creepiness was perfect. Ashes slash Bruce Campbell's hair is on point in this movie. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> um, also, I am now adding, even though she didn't die during this scene, I am adding death by thorny twigs as a new fear of mine. Like, 100%. <laughs> um, but yeah. And also, finally, like, I'm not ever going to look at oatmeal the same after that final <laughs> scene. Like, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. And that's... For breakfast tomorrow. Yeah, that's about all that I have for breakfast right now. So, like, I might have to just stop at Burger King on my way to work in the morning or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, Matt, what worked, uh, what worked for you? Um, the... Uh, there were so many things that worked so well in this. Um... I'm not going to take yours because I know you're going to talk about the. Yes, I am. That. I'm totally going to so, talk about it. I, so I'm going to, because I have to agree with you. Do yeah. you think? All right. Um, <laughs> the, like, that creepy, high pitched laughter <sighs> is, is one of those things that in so many of these, in so many campy horror movies, is, it, it has no effect on me. Like, it's like, it's like giggling and it's just obnoxious in this particular movie. It was downright creepy and disturbing. So I don't know what there was. I don't know if it was the rest of the atmosphere. Um, but one of those things that like typically like pulls me out of a campy horror movie just made it that much better. Um, there, uh, I mean the, for the time period, the some of the special effects are super bad and then some of them are super good um like i know that this was a low budget horror movie and they did the absolute best with what they had um 
I mean, the atmosphere in this whole film is actually like really good. Tabitha, what about you? Every time I watch this movie, I'm amazed by the cinematography. Like, this is a movie that was made during a time where you didn't have a still camera. Like, this is all hand or, like, like uh, winched camera work. It's gorgeous. Like, you've got these shots where, like, Ash, Bruce Campbell's character, is standing in the middle of a room, and it pans completely and totally around him. It's beautiful. Like, you don't even get that now because people are afraid to do shots like that because it's too weird. Um, and then you've got these upside down, flip it around camera shots and these like angles and then suddenly you're on the floor and you're up at the top. And the cinematography in this movie is like one of my absolute favorite things about it. And it's a Sam Raimi movie thing and I get that. But like in this one, it just, it makes you so uncomfortable and it's all it is is in the filming. The only other movie that's ever done that to me is the third uh, Paranormal Activity movie. Um, like, it takes a lot for a camera to unsettle me. This one doesn't. Like, this movie doesn't scare me anymore because, like, I've seen it a million times, so I kind of know what's coming. But still, as I'm watching it, I'm, like, kind of bracing myself. Even though, like, <laughs> with those movements, nothing's going to happen, you're still like, oh, because that's how you experience it. Like, when you're freaked out, you're standing there, and you're looking around yourself, and that's what the movie is doing. Like, it's looking around itself. And I will forever think this movie is great because I think it has great plot points i mean it, it has some bad stuff i get that but like it has a great plot and like in a lot of like especially like the super campy horror movies you don't have a plot you're just like no oh, i don't know he died she died she screamed they were trying to have sex and they both died like that's like <laughs> that's your typical 80s teen horror movie this one has a plot it has a background it has a backstory and it like leaves room for more i think there's a lot of things it does well but those are my two favorite things so, I wasn't for sure to whether to include this in something that worked or what didn't work for me. So I'm kind of doing this kind of segue into what didn't work for this movie. Um, the scene where um, Ash finally cuts off Linda's head. Uh, the only thing I could think of was that is one way to definitely earn your red wings. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, anyway... So let's go ahead and talk about what didn't work for this film for us. Um, and Tabitha, even though you just talked, let's talk, you know, let's start with you just because of how much you've talked about how much you enjoy this movie. Things that don't work for me. I understand that this is a low budget horror movie, but you can't tell me they didn't have $5 to wax Bruce Campbell's eyebrows. It <laughs> drives me nuts because like they zoom in on it so many times and he's got this curly eyebrow hair in the middle of his <laughs> unibrow and I can't stop staring at it. Like every time they get on his face, like I immediately look at it and then it's just in my memory for the rest of everything. Um, the other thing is like, I mean, obviously there are plot holes. Like dear... Cheryl, the window is broken. I know that you can't get in through the door, but maybe the broken window? I don't know. <laughs> like, there are there are gaps and there are plot holes. But, I mean, would it be an 1880s movie without those things? Um, the other thing that really bothers me about this is I hate that scene with Cheryl in the woods. You were creeped out by it, but it's always <laughs> one of those moments for me. And <laughs> Matt picked it out while we were watching. He's like, is she 
upset or is she enjoying her experience? <laughs> <laughs> and as I've always said, it is both. She is either a really bad actress who should have done X-rated films instead of horror films, or she was tortured and liking it. Um, it's just, it's a weird, like, uncomfortable, you're just like, oh my god, Cheryl, like, really? Like, she's that person you're at a party with, and you're like, you're embarrassing me, but, like, in a movie. So, I hate that scene. I hate that scene with the passion of 10,000 burning suns. Um, but, I mean, those are really my only bigger complaints is eyebrows and tree sex, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, Oh, gross. Wait, what, what did you say? <laughs> Wouldn't you know? <laughs> well, I was, about, <laughs> I was about to say something about, you know, getting wood, you know. You're both getting bells. <laughs> um, Matt, what did work for you? Um, so really two things that didn't work for me. Um, the first was, like, not the entire score, but there are moments where the soundtrack just doesn't seem to fit with the mood of what's going on. There are times where it really does. Um, and there's other times where it just almost kind of distracted me. Like it just didn't seem to fit in the, like the building tension, the make you feel unsettled kind of vibe. Um, it just didn't quite fit. Um, the other thing for me, and this is because of who I am as a person, um, not just the plot holes that are bigger than the hole in the floor, um, <laughs> but the continuity errors. Um, like, you know, Bruce Campbell gets completely drenched in blood and he comes walking in the house and he's got like a smear on the side of his face. <laughs> I'm like, what happened to the rest of your face, bro? Um, and then, right. Did you, because that's the only explanation. Um, and, like, there's another moment where, what's his name, Scotty, is, like, hacking up Shelly with the axe, and he, like, drops it in front of him, and then they show you the pieces of Shelly, and the axe is, like, five feet from Scotty. Like, how did that get there? Like, it's just because of who I am. Like, I pick up on those things. Like, I pick up, I pick up on people that are left-handed in movies all the time because that's who I am. But, like, those are the things that kind of bugged me about this um i had a couple things in particular that really kind of irked me uh the scene with the grandfather <laughs> clock and i don't remember which girl was like drawing the grandfather clock and then she got possessed real quick you know that's cheryl She's cheryl <laughs> okay <laughs> so the very like the you know when i first saw the scene i was like okay fine whatever but then like a couple scenes later when they're in the kitchen having dinner and you see that room like immediately and you kind of like realize just how small the cabin is like why did nobody see Cheryl like having a fit like that <laughs> like were they all just gone or you know or what like I don't know like that that kind of bugged me um the scene with Ash and Linda, when Ash is giving him the, or giving her the necklace, uh, but he's pretending to be asleep, and then you get the close-up on both of their eyes for, like, 20 minutes, and that went for, like, 19 minutes and 45 seconds too long. Like, I wrote down, 
I can't, E-Y-E, can't with this I scene. Um, like, uh, um, uh, let's see. There was something else. Oh, yeah. I, I was not a fan of the special effects. I get it. It was low budget. Um, I felt like it didn't age well. Like, especially like the scene when like Linda, like her foot like gets all the black veins or whatever. I was like, okay, cool. So somebody just use a Sharpie real quick. Awesome. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, like, I don't know. It, it had its, it had its moments where I was like, nah, brah. How the, the next question is how does this compare to other times that you've seen it? Uh, This is my first time seeing Evil Dead. Um, Matt, have you seen it before? I actually have not seen it. This was a first for me as well. Okay. So Tabitha, how does this viewing compare to previous viewings or even from the first time that you've seen it? Um, I remember the first time that I watched this, like I was around like a bunch of my guy friends and they had all already seen it, of course. And they're all like, wait for this part, wait for this part, wait for this. I'm like, I can't, I can't focus. Stop talking to me. Um, it's always interesting to watch this movie with someone who's never seen it before because like Matt was just kind of like doing like the head tilt at it for a while. Like the, hmm. Um, like I said earlier, like when you watch a movie, especially like a scary movie for the second time, like you know what's coming. Example, we recently watched Hereditary, which was my second time watching Hereditary. My first time watching Hereditary, I wanted to die after that movie. Second time I was less uncomfortable, but I was still uncomfortable. This is one of those like, I can't even tell you how many times I've watched Evil Dead. Um, But like sometimes new stuff still like kind of gets you or you see something for the first time and you're like, mm, I don't know how I feel about that. Like the oatmeal. <laughs> like <laughs> I never thought about it really looking like oatmeal until Matt's like, well, I'm not having that for breakfast tomorrow. I'm like, oh, it does like oatmeal. Like, yeah, it does. Um, each viewing of a movie is different, especially one like this where there are continuity errors and there are, I don't, I don't think I'd ever thought about, why Cheryl just didn't go in through the broken window instead of being like, hey, I'm going to pound on the door for six hours. Uh, <laughs> and that eye scene doesn't bother me because I stop. I know what's coming. So I was like messing around on my phone. While that was happening. <laughs> so I'm like, oh yeah, they're going to do that thing where they look at each other for a while. So I just like messing with my phone. Um, it's one of those movies I can watch over and over. Like I'm never going to get tired of it. I don't know. Uh, one thing that I remembered that I didn't like about this film, uh, and I think it was when Cheryl, it was like her first death scene, but she didn't really die. Um, first off, like, was that milk? Like, I, I was confused. Uh, yes. yeah, it looks like it's yeah. supposed to be like some kind of acid or something, but I'm okay. pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely 2%. Um, yeah. also <laughs> that especially for it being a not a death scene that death scene went on for far too long everyone dies a lot for no one actually dying in this movie yeah yeah (laughs) so final question is this movie a guilty pleasure or a dumpster fire i think i know where we're all at but for the sake of whatever uh matt we'll start with you um I'm really disappointed that I have never seen this before. Um, I feel like this is going to be one that I watch every year, every Halloween from now on. This is definitely a guilty pleasure. 
Tabitha? Uh, yeah, this is a guilty pleasure watch for me. Uh, I don't even know if it's so much a guilty pleasure anymore. Like, I just enjoy myself watching this. And I highly recommend Evil Dead 2. Uh, yeah, same. This is a guilty pleasure for me. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, like I was kind of talking about at the beginning, like I want to probably not this Halloween season because it's almost over, but in the future, I do want to properly watch it. You know, all the lights out, you know, etc. But yeah, it was, it was fun. It was fun. Can't, and I want to watch the rest now. So, all right, guys, we have a few minutes left. Let's do a short round of gut reaction. Oof, gut reaction. And we are going to start tonight. Um, so this broke yesterday, I think. Um, Oscar Isaac has reportedly been cast to play Moon Knight in the MCU. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the character, Moon Knight is ex-Marine Mark Spector, uh, who as a mercenary, he was left for dead uh, in an excavation site in Egypt. Saved by the Egyptian god of the moon, uh, Kenoshu, uh, Spectre became the street-level superhero of Moon Knight. Uh, I am definitely giving this a thumbs up. Um, Oscar Isaac... I think I say every time he's mentioned on the show, he can do no wrong. Um, yeah, I'm I'm super pumped for this and super pumped to learn more about Moon Knight. Tabitha. Yeah, I agree with you. Even knowing that little bit of backstory, like I want to know more about the character and I love Oscar, Oscar Isaac. I can't talk today. Thumbs up. Matt. Um, this, I know that there have been rumors at some point that Keanu Reeves had been in talks for an MCU role, whether it was a show, movie, whatever. And this was kind of the role that people had, uh, pegged him for. Um, I, I think the idea of Oscar Isaac doing this is fantastic. Um, I cannot find it right now, but I believe that there was news following his announcement um, that they do actually have a director as well lined up um, for at least some of the episodes. I saw that too, and I can't think of the name of the director. But yeah, yes. I'm looking for it, and I cannot seem to find it right now. Um, but in general, yeah, I think thumbs up, absolutely. Uh, Tabitha, let's talk Adam's Family. Uh, Tim Burton is bringing a live-action Adam's Family to somewhere. Um, Burton will direct and executive produce all the episodes. Um, it doesn't have a home yet, but it's predicted that it's probably going to go to Netflix because they've bid on it. It will be Tim Burton's first directing experience for TV versus movies. So we'll see how that goes. Um, all I could think about during this entire thing is that I was just dreamcasting it in my head because obviously we have no casting information. And I don't know if it's because of the animated one, but I want Charlize Theron to play Morticia Adams more than I've ever wanted anything in the entire world. Um, I'm giving this a thumb sideways. I don't think Tim Burton can do any wrong. I'm nervous about an Adams Family adaptation because the old black and white Adams Family, it was like one of my favorite TV shows. So thumb sideways. <laughs> Uh, I am also going to go thumb sideways because I too really enjoyed the original black and white show. Um, I, I'm not nervous about Tim Burton, really, even the fact that he's doing TV instead of movies. Um, I think he's going to put the right vibe behind it. My concern probably is more so the casting um, as how that all plays out. So, um, Yeah, I'm going to have to go thumb sideways as well. I know Tim Burton does creepy very well, but at the same time, it's like something like the Adams family, it's easy to go very, very wrong. And um, I'm blanking on um, who's the uh, the father in Adams family. Gomez. 
Gomez, thank you. Um, I am just ready for Johnny Depp to be cast as Gomez. Yeah, because yeah. Tim Burton. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Matt, speaking of Netflix, uh, let's talk about Assassin's Creed. Um, so Netflix has signed an agreement with Ubisoft, who is the developer of the Assassin's Creed video games, to develop a live action uh, Assassin's Creed show. Um, We've already had a film adaptation in 2016 with Michael Fassbender, which flopped essentially at the box office. Um, Ubisoft is saying that, quote, the deal includes multiple different series, the first of which will be gender-bending life-action epic, while the others will be animated and anime adaptations. Um, so we have no release date, no casting information. Um, Honestly, at this point with Netflix, whether they do live action um, or anime, um, I think, I don't know. I, the, the movie was not super well received, so I haven't gone out to see it. Um, but I will put my faith in Netflix on this and go thumbs up. Uh, I'm also going to go thumbs sideways on this one, too. Um, I don't know. I just... I know that Netflix, it's in good hands with Netflix, but at the same time, video game adaptations as a whole are usually not fantastic. So we'll see. Uh, Tabitha. Yeah, what Mitch said, like, I trust Netflix, but I don't trust video game adaptations. However, I will say Assassin's Creed is one of my favorite video games to watch someone play because it is so cinematic and like the storylines are always so immersive. So I'm going to also go thumb sideways. Uh, FX on Hulu's adaptation of Why the Last Man has finally started production uh, with a couple of casting changes. So Agent 355 will now be played by Ashley Romans and Hero Brown will be played by Olivia uh, Thurlby. Also at PETA's urging, uh, Ampersand is going to be CGI. So uh, I'm giving this a thumbs up. Uh, I have been excited about this ever since they first announced it what feels like seventeen thousand years ago um but also like looking at the new cast um these are it, just in terms of looks alone slam dunks in terms of casting i can't wait tabitha yeah i agree as soon as i heard about this i was excited and i'm just ready because like you said this feels like it's been in talks or whatever for 15,000 years at this point. So, thumbs up. Uh, Matt. So, as much as I'm excited for this, having never read it, this okay. is going to be, it's, it's going to be cool. Um, and I know that PETA has good points for what they're doing, but I always get concerned when they don't use real animals for animal, like, Rolls. Rolls. I was going to say parts, but that just sounds really bad, which is why Peter's <laughs> against it. Um, <laughs> which is why Peter's yeah, involved in the beginning. Um, I, I don't know. It's kind of like that trailer for, was it Call of the Wild? I don't know. It was the one with Harrison Ford mm -hmm. or White, mm -hmm. White Fang. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. The most recent one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like at first I'm like, oh, this looks cool. And then you see the dog and I'm like, it looks like it's CGI. <laughs> And that always bothers me when you can like when you can explicitly tell that it's like it's computer generated. So I'm going to go thumb sideways. Uh, Tabitha, let's go to the baby Yoda news desk. 
this is actually the remote control Baby Yoda news desk today. Um, because Mattel is releasing a remote control Baby Yoda that will follow you around. He's 11 inches tall. He moves his cute little head, his little ears, and his arms. And he can do a little dance shuffle. Uh, he also plays, like, the sounds from the show, like the Baby Yoda noises from the show. You actually get to wear the remote control on your wrist, and then he will just follow you based on where you go with your remote control. He is going to be $70, and he comes with four different play modes. The only place you can buy him, however, is at Disney Parks, which you should not be going to right now, or Disney Stores, which you should be shopping online. Um, I have never wanted something that I have absolutely no use for so bad in my entire life. Because <laughs> you know what I don't need? Something else other than my dog that follows me around the house. <laughs> because it would be like a little conga train of like me, Artie, Baby Yoda. Like, I see it. It would be. It would, yeah. So, thumbs up. $70, but $70 well spent, maybe. Uh, Matt? Uh, all considered, $70 is not all that bad for something like this. Um, and the fact that you just wear, you know, the, the controller and it follows you around like that. I think that's kind of awesome. Uh, I'm going to go thumbs up. Yeah, $70 is a fantastic price point, And I would automatically have a second set of hands for, for work because I would 100% bring that to work and have Baby Yoda just follow me around. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to do two last stories. Um, Matt, we're going to start with you. And um, a McDonald's story, kind of, sort of? I don't know. If it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> but the ice cream machine, it's always broken. Um, so Software Engineer has created a website that tracks every single broken McDonald's ice cream machine across the U.S. in real time. Um, Rashik Zahid created McBroken, <laughs> which the name alone is fantastic. Um, the website shows every McDonald's in the country. Green dots represent locations with a functioning machine. Red dots indicate broken ones. Uh, the site also shows a breakdown of how many machines nationwide are out of order at any given moment, which is probably a pretty high percentage. Uh, Zahid uses a bot to try to order a McSunday on the McDonald's app from every location. And then he can add the ice cream to his card. Um, the location is marked if they have a working machine. Um, honestly, I think this is awesome because you never know. Because every time you want a, uh, a shake or an ice cream cone, it always seems like they're broken. So thumbs up for this. I'm going between thumbs sideways and thumbs up. Yes, this is a fantastic idea. At the same time, I feel like this guy is doing a little bit too much. Um, <laughs> so I'm giving it a thumbs three quarters up. Tabitha. <laughs> Um, currently only 7.54% of machines across the United States are broken, according to McBroken.com. <laughs> wow. That's I, a lot lower than I expected. However, I did check this earlier when I was making Matt's notes for him, and it was at like 9%, so they've, some machines have gotten repaired. Um, 15% of the machines in the Philadelphia region are broken, so Philadelphia, you get no ice cream. Uh, <laughs> this is fantastic. Like, this guy had too much time on his hands, and what did he do? These are the heroes we deserve. Not that I eat McDonald's ice cream because I think it's weird and tastes like sponge, but <laughs> he's a good Samaritan. Thumbs up for him. Good job, Rashik. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, last story for tonight, Tabitha. It's all yours. Uh, speaking of doing too much, what is Oreos doing? Uh, they're keeping their Oreos safe from literally everything, including an asteroid. Um, so in Norway, the global Oreo vault has been built. Uh, this is basically like one of those uh, doomsday seed vaults uh, that exist for when the world ends and we still need to know how to make corn. Um, but this is for Oreos. Uh, Oreo packs are wrapped in mylar, which can withstand temperatures from negative 80 to 300 degrees Fahrenheit just in case the world catches on fire or we go into a second ice age. Um, <laughs> they stocked it with powdered milk, too, though. So just a little bit of snow from your permafrost, and you have yourself some milk to go with your Oreos, because Oreos are absolutely useless without milk. Um, at the end of the day, though, like, is this worth it? Like, are we that concerned about the Oreos and the Oreo recipes at the end of the world? Like, that's what we're worried about. His Oreos. I want to know how much this cost. I want to know who in research and development was like, guys, there's this asteroid passing Earth. You know what we should do? We should protect our Oreo recipe in a vault in the permafrost in Sweden. It'll only be like $6 million. Let's go. Like, who at Nabisco was like, yep, that sounds like a, that's, that's the one. That's the good idea. No. I mean, thumbs up that we're going to have Oreos for presumably forever. Thumbs down because why are we buying so many Oreos that they can afford this thing? <laughs> I just don't understand. That's fair. <clears throat> Matt. Um, I mean, have you seen Zombieland and how all he wants is a Twinkie and he can't find a Twinkie? At least now we know where the Oreos are when the apocalypse happens. I'm not going to Sweden for Oreos in the apocalypse. In case of apocalypse, don't count me in for going to Sweden. <laughs> Okay, bye. <laughs> if you need a chocolate fix, you know where I'll be. <laughs> um, yeah, this is unnecessary, but necessary. I don't know. I'm just going to go thumbs up because Oreos are a staple. Uh, yeah, coming thumbs up. This is completely unnecessary and completely ridiculous, but this is what 2020 needs, in my opinion. <laughs> for, for all the awful things that have happened, at least we can sleep knowing that whoever gets to survive the apocalypse is rewarded in Oreos. <laughs> and milk. And milk. You're absolutely right. <laughs> so that is going to do it for this episode of The Geek Awakens. Uh, we'll be back next week. But in the meantime, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we'll be posting news throughout the week. Uh, while you're there, uh, give us some info on uh, any geeky stuff we're missing out on. Uh, any questions, comments, or concerns, then shoot us an email at thegeekawakenspodcast at gmail.com. From all of us at The Geek Awakens, thanks for listening, and we hope to catch you next time. Everybody, stay bye. Bye. bye.